and we're delighted to welcome our speaker, the Managing Director of Investment Stewardship at BlackRock, and solely on her own, so give her a, a large and warm welcome, Iris Devilla. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for having us here today, BlackRock and myself. I'm incredibly excited to be here because, A, I don't get out of the house much, um, as sure most of you don't either. And isn't it great that we are actually here today? And let's give a thought out for those who cannot be here with us today, either in Melbourne or more globally. Uh, but the other thing that um, I wanted to say, if I do trip over my words or trip over my shoes, again, it's been a while since I've worn heels. It's been a while since I've been in you know, a fancy dress as I am today. So please bear with me. Uh, I am going to start with two very obvious and probably what's going to go down as the two largest understatements of the day. And the first one's going to be, geez, what an 18 months it's been, right? We started 2020 with fires. We went to drought. We went to COVID, pandemic. We, went, we then went to macroeconomic pressure and tension, closed borders. And everywhere we looked, it was relentless, right? It was exhausting. Who in this room is not exhausted by the last 18 months? Exactly, right? Obvious statement. Now, the second obvious and understatement of the year is, it seems irrespective of where you look or where you turn, everybody's talking about climate risk, climate change, sustainability, et cetera. I'm sure there's many of you in this room who think, that's all we talk about, right? Please stop talking about it. <laughs> so how am I going to bring these two things together? And why are we talking so much about these two? And what I'll say is, I think what the eight, last 18 months have actually shown us, and what brings it all together, is that we live in a very fragile world. And whether that's the fragility of our health, that, whether that's the fragility of our macroeconomic system, the fragility of governments, of advice, our mental health, whatever it may be, it has been an incredibly fragile period of time. And so I think that's made us, many people, quite introspective and really think about perhaps existentialism more broadly. And that's a big word, right? But it does make many in the industry think, well, what is that future crisis that we're not thinking about today? And what and how are we addressing it? And what is that future fragility? And it seems to us, at least, despite the fact that we did face this massive global pandemic and, and massive health crisis, surprisingly, when we were speaking to clients, when we were speaking to regulators, when we were speaking to governments and other stakeholders, and frankly, other investors, this whole climate topic didn't go away at all. In fact, the conversations just accelerated and the conversations intensified. And so it really brought forward to us that this issue, that there is this tectonic shift that we're seeing in the market. There is a seismic shift that we're seeing. And that next fragility that many in the market are thinking about and talking about is climate risk. It is climate change or transition risk. And it's surprising that nearly every conversation we've had in the last 18 months, every single one, there's about 30% of the topic dedicated to this. Now, we're all in financial markets, and we all know that finance likes a good problem, especially a nice future problem. So what do you do with a future problem? You bring it forward, and you bring it to the present. 
the net present value. And so it very much furthered our conviction that this future problem was one that we need to think about today. And it was frankly one that the markets in general weren't really focusing on and weren't taking into account. And so it really, again, emphasized this issue that broader sustainability issues, this ESG that everyone's talking about, is something we need to think about when we're managing on behalf of clients. And we really need to think about when we're managing on behalf of the broader market. And so it did, again, further our conviction that sustainability risk and climate risk are actually investment risk. Now, I'm sure many of you, again, are thinking, geez, that's all we're talking about. That's all these people ever talk about. And can they not talk about something else? Now, again, what I'll say to that is, there's equally a number of people who think we're not doing enough. And before everybody goes away, clutching their pearls and think we've become these eco-warriors, whatever it may be, again, I just want to emphasize that all of this is very much through the fiduciary perspective, through the financial risk and opportunity perspective, and very much as a fiduciary on behalf of clients. And frankly, it's not that dissimilar, and it very much aligns with our overall purpose, and hopefully the purpose that all of you in this room have as well. And that is, how do you ensure increasing well-being, financial well-being for your clients, right? That's what we're all here to do. How do you ensure that your clients have dignity in retirement? How do you ensure that we leave behind a capitalist structure that is promoting durability, and long-term sustainability, and very much focused with that long-term view. And so, again, you know, we, we're not looking at this through, we're not eco-warriors. It is very much through that investment financial risk perspective. And so, what have we done about it? Well, we decided, we announced this last year, 2020, that sustainability was going to be the standard for our investments. What does that mean? <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big task, it's a big undertaking, right? And so what we said was, in our investment management, sustainability was going to be a standard of our investments. So we were going to integrate these ESG factors across our active and advisory portfolios. What that also means, and hopefully it's helpful to you, we do publish capital market assumptions, and those are public, and that we've incorporated climate risk into those capital market assumptions and they're available. Importantly, again, all of this is about choice, choice for clients and being fiduciary. So what have we done? We're not imposing our views on people. You can choose to invest as you like, but what we can do is we can provide greater solutions for you. And if this is a thesis that you do believe in and you do believe that there is gonna be this reallocation of capital, which is the one we believe is true, then let's provide greater solutions for you through some of the investment products that we provide. We created a team for ESG research. How do you feed this, these ESG insights into our portfolios? Importantly, a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, transparency and reporting. Sounds very boring, but it's very important. You know, how do we hold ourselves to account? How do we improve our transparency? And our annual CEO letters that Larry Fink writes is a good roadmap to say, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're setting out to do. How are we going to accomplish it? We've held ourselves to account as well in terms of we're reporting under the TCFD and SASB frameworks. And also, we're trying to provide, again, underlying data for you all to use out there to show our own risk on some of these issues. 
data and technology, Aladdin, we've incorporated again more than 1,200 MSCI and sustainability analytics into our platform so our investors can really look at and focus on these risks. And finally, the one that I'm gonna spend a little bit more time and bear with me because it is my baby, um, <laughs> investment stewardship. So investment stewardship, that's the team that I sit in. And that is how do you, how do we do company engagement? So what do we do? When we're speaking to companies, we're very careful, again, it's not about telling companies to what to do. We're not the regulator. I see regulators in the room. That's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is, again, promote long-term sustainable business practices. Because let's not forget, the majority of what we manage is indexed. It's long-term money. So there's a bad company out there, like the bad apples you talked about before. We can't get rid of it. It's in the index. So what can we do about it? We can try to engage with them, and we can try to encourage them to promote longer-term sustainable business practices. And so again, everything we do when we're talking to companies is through that fiduciary perspective, and everything is through that financial risk perspective. And we're very proud of it, I've got to say. You know, we've got the largest team in the market. Good old Larry, a few years ago, he said he was going to build the biggest team. Guess what? He did. 60-odd people globally meeting and voting on these companies every year. So quite a bit of research that we're doing and that we're providing across the board. But again, why are we doing it? And I see my time is running out, so I'll be, I'll be quick. We're doing it to promote that long-term sustainability, because what we're trying to do is protect and grow the value of the assets that we manage on behalf of clients, on behalf of your clients, and overall. And part of my fun job is to come out and talk to all of you and, and hear your criticism and, and you know, hear all the different naysayers as to why we should be quiet about sustainability and climate and climate risk. But if there's anything that you can take away from today, I just want to remind you, we're not activists. We're active investors. We're value, not values-based. And again, it is about trying to protect that long-term value of assets we own. So I'll leave it there. I'm very happy to answer any questions. And if you've got some very difficult and want to have a go at me, come meet me in the back, please. OK? <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Just before, you, just before you run off, come back, come back, Iris. Uh, I know you all think that's a sales pitch from BlackRock, right? That doesn't fit. What's that about? Well, I'll tell you why. Jump off the stage. So it's not a sales pitch from BlackRock. It's in our program because BlackRock are $12 trillion, the biggest fund manager in the world by far. And Larry Fink has made it the BlackRock's mission. Number one priority is this. Wow, biggest fund manager in the world. What greenies? No. What great greenies. investors? What yeah. great investors? Why is it that... Can I have my mic up a little bit? Why is it that advisors and mum and dads are dramatically behind the curve on this issue compared to global pension funds and Australian super funds? Look, I think it's a, it's a broad education piece. And again, it's, it is a massive topic that we're discussing, right? And it does require a little bit of education. It does, frankly, require a bit of convincing from people. Again, this is not a lefty, greeny, activist agenda. This is very much we're looking at this through that financial risk perspective. And why does it matter? Because again, we want to ensure that these companies, very much like licensee practices, are here in 10, 15, 20 years' time. And to do that, you really need to look through it through that financial risk perspective and look at that financial risk. Okay, but that's not answering my question, with all due respect. The question is, why is it yep. that industry funds in Australia have been leading this? In terms of the asset allocation to, to uh, sustainability, it's absolutely been a big issue for a decade. Yep. 
if the investment flows to um, uh, to renewables, for example, is 100% almost in the institutional space globally. It's not the advisor intermediated mum and dad space. It's family office. It's a smart money in family office as well, let me say. But it's otherwise, it's pensions and sovereign funds. Why isn't it these people's clients? That's a great question. I'm not sure why it's not your clients, because I think from, the, from everything we hear from the other side of the equation, it's all they talk about, frankly. And it's all the qu queries that we get on a day-to-day -day basis is very much looking through. And I think the long-term perspective, it's superannuation. I think that's part of it, right? So I think that's, that, again, lends itself to thinking more broadly and more on sustainability issues. So I'm surprised if some of your clients aren't speaking about it more broadly. I'd be curious to know. Anyone got a response? Why is the smart money banking on venture capital, renewables, and climate transition? Please judge. You know, you're no, a judge. You can go. Yep, go. No, this is my personal opinion, and okay. my working hypothesis is that we've been distracted by the debate between the elites and the deplorables, and the mum and dad investors fit in that latter bracket, as um, revolting as that sounds to say. Whereas the big, the big end of town is informed. Uh, about the grave risks to society going forward. So I think it probably is as basic as that. So it is back to the education piece. And again, the lens we're looking at this through is that long-term, how are we better preparing people for retirement, right? Ultimately, that's the goal. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And to do that, you need to look through that longer-term lens. And again, to do that, you need to ensure from our perspective that a large parts of the economy are actually there to contribute at the end of that time. And it's very easy to get caught up in the noise. And let's be honest, I think this sector has had quite a bit of disruption and you've had one commission after another after, after another. So it is, whereas other parts of the market haven't been as distracted. You know, they haven't had to deal with as much of the regulatory issue and pressures that I think this sector has. Okay, this guy knows about long-term things. It's Mark Matratty, rather, the CEO of Alliance Retire Plus, who's trying to have people deal with their, their long-term retirement solutions and finding it pretty tough. Why is this an issue, Matt? Well, I was just going to try and make my own hypothesis the answer to your question there, Colin, which could be that uh, advisors... I'm sure clients come to advisors proactively and say, I'm interested in ESG, and as a consequence they end up with ESG portfolios. But I wonder how many advisors actually ask clients as part of a risk profiling or part of a fact find what their views actually are. Yep, thanks, Matt. Let's do, I know we're over time. Let's take another couple of comments, questions. I think it's a very big issue because it goes back to the conversations earlier today, by the way, and I think it's ideology and it gets in the way of education and it gets in the way of clear thinking and practical outcomes. Let's go here. Your name and organisation and your comment. Uh, Alison Dummett from Matrix and Clearview. Um, I just want to make the comment that some of it is that we have to give advisors, we have to equip them with better information. So we've adapted our fact find to include questions about sustainable investments to prompt the client. But we also had to include information on our APL that gave them that granularity about what some funds were doing. So anything people can do to help with that kind of information is really useful to us. Thanks. Thanks very much. Okay, let's go to Paul Harding-Davis, table eight. Uh, yeah, Paul Harding Davis from Advice IQ. I spent about eight years working in responsible investment and on the board of RIA. Um, <clears throat> there are only 3% of Australians on the low house, the, lo the lifestyle uh, curve that uh, go all the way to the end of aligning everything in their life with their values and their ethics. Um, so 
that was, to, if you go back to the numbers in ethical investment, there's always 3% who want everything invested ethically, sustainably. The rest of the population are somewhere on that journey. Um, in fact, not even all of the population. Um, it varies from men, male to female. You get a very different response between men and women. And you have to ask the right questions. And most of the time in the fact finds I've seen, they're not the right questions. The questions have to be about what are your values, what's important to you, and then we can align that to those. Okay, great. Back table and then this table here. Grab the mic. Just your name and organisation, make it snappy. Dean Holmes from the Wealth Network. For lots of our firms, we actually have the exact opposite, that they have to opt out of investing ethically. And so we take the leadership as the advisors to say that this is the standard. And then if they don't want to invest that way, they're actually opting out of the process. So we, we are taking the leadership as advisors. Yep, good on you. But note that we're not talking about ethical investments, talking about sustainability, but okay. Um, very different topic. Okay, sir? Yeah, Tom Keenan. Um, MLC. So I, my experience with this is, well, firstly, I agree with the culture war. I think there's a massive culture war on this, which we're fighting. But I also think that if I, from a product provider perspective, I virtually didn't talk about it, um, ESG to a client until about a month after Donald Trump left the Paris Agreement. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and suddenly I started getting questions from distributors, from, from, from financial advice firms. I was based in Asia at the time. And I was suddenly wanting to know about ESG capability. And my working hypothesis, there's no science behind this, was that the bank's executives around the world, all the big distributors said, we've got to do something. This trickled down through these organisations and then some poor product people were sitting there saying, we've got to put ESG funds on menus. And so they scrambled and they got these ESG funds on menus and they just, they, 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 this was the first cut. It was almost like the first draft. You've got three seconds. Now we are seeing something completely different and much more thought out, and it's a completely different ball game. So that's why they didn't sell initially. I think it'll be very different now. Okay. All right. So uh, hands in the air if you uh, if you've watched us uh, the COVID nineteen health scientists around the world with amazement the last uh, year and a half and or listened to them. If you've watched the scientists, if you believe the scientists, hands in the air if you believe the scientists on COVID nineteen. If you, if you believe scientists, if you believe the scientists on COVID nineteen, hands in the air. If we've been following the health advice and watching and listening to scientists and their health advice, yes. Great, thank you. Those who like to listen to the climate scientists? I have to say that, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, Colin.